Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast for June 11th, 2021. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree and a communications volunteer for Chapter 49. We ask that you, if you think it's somebody else would like to hear this podcast, please spread the word. It is available on most platforms where you find podcasts, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and many more. You can find us by searching any of those platforms using this search uh, uh, phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. You will find several podcast lines that I produce. If you go there, just look for the Chapter 49 podcasts in the list in the listing there. I am in my usual location, my uh, home office in Fishers, Indiana, but Duncan Giles, our chapter president, is in our nation's capital, hard at work, um, bargaining over the national agreement. So, Duncan, well, please, uh, we uh, welcome you we welcome you back, Duncan, and uh, glad to have you with us uh, from Washington, D.C. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Larry. And also, we uh, have a guest today joining Duncan in D.C., uh, Gary Caribbean, he's uh, from Chapter 68, uh, representing the employees there in Andover, Massachusetts. So, Gary, welcome. It's great to talk to you. Larry, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's uh, dig right into our issues for the day. I guess the first thing I would ask you, gentlemen, is I, I hope you are finding some of the best restaurants in the District of Columbia. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, or, or ones that are close by. Oh, okay. <laughs> So sometimes that's the winner, close uh, Trump's best. I think, I, I, I think I've been to uh, three restaurants since I've been here since Sunday, so yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's get serious and talk about what we need to talk about. And I think the biggest issue that has come up, and it just came up, I think, yesterday or the day before, uh, it has to do with a uh, very important document that's been issued by the Biden White House. We've all been wondering about what's going to happen with this plan to return to the office there are two very big components of this document, which I think all federal employees should really understand and and take to heart. One is is this uh, basic edict from the president that uh, agencies will bargain with uh, their unions over this process. And the second one is, and I want you two gentlemen to uh, to speak about this. Uh, it appears to me that those people who are on telework now and are performing well under telework, have the option of staying on telework. So I'm going to ask Gary to start this. I know you're familiar with uh, with what's happening. Uh, what's your take on, on this document? So, you know, obviously we have, uh, uh, we have good relationships with the administration. So we're looking forward towards our employees continuing to telework. I mean, they've been teleworking for uh, over a year at this point, and they've been doing it successfully. And so they're expecting to continue. I know that that's um, that's kind of the message that we're putting out that, you know, we're not guaranteeing anything, but uh, it's certainly NTU's mission to uh, to keep those who are teleworking, those who have portable work should be able to continue to telework. Um, so that that um, information that that's coming out of the White House certainly helps us in that. Um, you know, obviously, that, that's going to bridge us to, uh, you know, to obviously the negotiations that we're at here in D.C., um, and to what we're trying to do and, and, uh, and the agency's uh, reactions to that, um, you know, but, but definitely our employees are, are expecting that. Uh, I think they, they're right to expect it. I think that 
or in a world where work-life balance is, is very important uh, in an ever-changing world, especially with COVID. Um, you know, COVID certainly is not going to go away. It's going to subside. But, uh, you know, we, we have some challenges that, that we're facing and how to implement all of this and, and uh, whether employees should be working five days or four days or three days uh, a week at, at home. So uh, we're working through those things, but, but definitely it's uh, definitely encouraging that we, we saw that memo coming from the White House. Well, let me go to Duncan because, Duncan, this is what interests me most about that document is that if, in fact, people who are performing well at home and wish to stay at home to do their work, at least for the most part, uh, this could, if that is, in fact, going to happen, we don't know it's going to work out that way, but it sure looks like it's moving in that direction. If that happens, this has a very, the potential to have a very gigantic, not a very, but a gigantic uh, impact on the workplace. How, how do you view this? Yeah, it was, uh, we really liked the timing of the uh, Biden uh, administration's uh, memo on this coming out. It's it's one of those things that, you know, that we're talking about right here at the table that's been a big struggle. You know, NTU's position all along, as Gary alluded to, was we're doing the work remotely now. Why should it have to change once we go back for uh, once the pandemic subsides? So it's it's a huge thing for the administration to push and realize that remote work can and does uh, can be done successfully. And I, I would also add in regards to retention, we've been talking about retention um, you know, over the week. They're talking about bringing in new people and hiring new people. And, and, and at the table, we mentioned the word and retain people. Um, and, and I think that when we talk about our work-life balances, whether it's uh, flexible workplaces, uh, whether it's alternative work schedules uh, and telework, I mean, these are things that are important, especially for our younger uh, generation who's coming in um, uh, to, to be able to have those flexibilities in place so that they can uh, have a better work life. So I, I think that that's really, really important for the agency to consider. I want to add this because, you know, I'm the old guy in the crowd because I'm retired almost 10 years now. But when I was an NTEU official in the 90s, that's when what we then call FlexiPlace was first uh, put into the contract and the national agreement in that language. It was called FlexiPlace because we didn't have the technology then that we have. Now it was mostly just taking the work home and doing it or, you know, going out in the field and coming home and finishing your work, that kind of thing. Uh, what we're seeing now, of course, telework is much bigger than that. And I, I just remember in the 90s when, and I, and I traveled the state of Indiana with a management official, we both were trying to convince people this was a good idea, this FlexiPlace idea, and we ran into all kinds of management resistance out in the field. So, so Duncan, I th and, and the other part of this that I think is very important is when FlexiPlace was rolled out, management's interest in that is they wanted to reduce rent costs. They thought they could reduce the space they would need. That really didn't happen to a large extent. So, Duncan, I'm going to ask you to start this. Uh, what impact does this have? Because uh, I know I don't know about Gary's chapter, but your chapter, there's a lot of leased space, and you are dealing with the, the service on that and just space in general, even in federal buildings. Will this have an impact on the amount of space you think that the management's going to need if employees uh, take uh, management up on this and management uh, does allow these people to work at home over the long term? 
Well, first off, we're, you know, we're all three of us are shocked that, you know, something that management had tried to figure out didn't work. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a huge shock to all of us. It's, it's one of those things where um, we do believe that if people are allowed to telework, they can either A, reduce the footprint, or B, with the hire that the hiring that the commissioner has talked about on the Hill, you know, these, depending upon which session of Congress that he's talked to, um, you know, 55 to 57,000 people just as uh, retirement eligible folks to uh, basically backfill for that and an additional 17,000. So a lot of this space is going to be needed for those types of jobs as well. So they've got a combination of the two that they can use, either use it for rent reduction or use it to increase space for uh, those new hires that are going to be coming on. As a uh, service center chapter president, Gary, I mean, I'm going to have to think that uh, as you look forward to uh, the staff you represent and space issues, uh, uh, how, how do you view this whole issue? Yeah, I mean, so so for us, it's uh, our space issue isn't too difficult. Um, there, in, in my service center, we only have our, our main building, uh, which houses the majority of our employees, and then we have a smaller office in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, that probably hosts about eighty or so people. Um, uh, but many of those people are already teleworking. You know, they might be able to release that that space and, and just have everybody's PODB in, in Andover. Um, so we're not affected too, too much. I don't foresee the agency uh, closing our main building or uh, reducing the footprint of that building because as a service center, we're, we're always bringing in, uh, you know, new hire uh, uh, customer service reps and, and exam employees and AUR employees. We're going to be bringing in a lot of those employees who probably will not be teleworking for the first at least one to two years, maybe three years of their uh, their careers at the IRS, because there's a lot to know, there's a lot to learn. Uh, we're a little bit different from from uh, potentially maybe you know the revenue officer position where they might be able to telework in a in a much faster environment. Um, you know, so I don't foresee us reducing our size as a service center. Um, you know, but it, it certainly will enable employees to have that opportunity to uh, you know to telework and to. Uh, shared desks. I see that as as being a uh, uh, as being a challenge. Um, some do share desks right now, but it's only between day and night shift. Now we're looking at sharing desks with multiple people, so that might be a little bit of a challenge. But certainly, I, I think that employees overall would be very happy to have that challenge as opposed to not being able to telework. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, bargaining in general in a moment, but I want to ask this for specific to this issue. Since this uh, document came out. First of all, have you discussed this issue of telework with the management? If so, have you seen any shift in, in their attitude, just in a general sense? Duncan, you can start. Um, they, we have not really uh, discussed it since the memo came out with them. Um, they are very mindful that uh, this is a big issue for us. We are hoping to see some more forward progress on this. Um, chapter presidents like Gary in particular have been a done a great job in basically being able to figure out some of these jobs that management might, might not think can telework in the service centers, but can. So we're really hoping with the advent of this guidance that's come out under the Biden administration that they will um, be even more reasonable in looking at this. 
You know, you know, Gary. I, uh, I one one area of the Serbs. I don't know if you represent people in this uh, this area, but taxpayer advocate for years absolutely refused to let people telework in Indianapolis. Nobody's been in that office except the secretary for months. So I guess uh, we can now we we have a, a long list of examples of how this really does work in areas where the service had had really resisted. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we don't have a large uh, taxpayer advocate in, in Andover, but we do have some. They're actually in our Lowell office, um, you know, but we do have a, a group that we work that, that works there. And it's interesting because we had a grievance about this. And the thing that management continued to say is that employees cannot work frequent telework partly because of, you know, walk in customers. We have never had walk-in customers, ever. And so we had to file a grievance over that for them to admit that they don't have walk-in customers. So they've been very, very um, – uh, uh, they've been against uh, telework for a long, long time. And so, you know, we think we're making uh, progress on that, and, and we're hopeful for, uh, for, for a good deal, um, you know, by the end of this negotiation. But, yeah, I mean, we, we have those people. They've been wanting to telework. They're telling us they can be they they can telework. We have the evidence that they can telework. Yep. It's now about management to just say, okay, we hear you, we see your point, and the evidence shows that. So let's get these people to telework. You know, we've spent a lot of time here this almost half the time of the podcast on this, but we just I think I, you two agree with me. This is one of the biggest developments we've seen uh, since the pandemic started. This idea that we uh, will have an opportunity for people who have successfully worked at home to remain there if they want. So we will be uh, updating people on this podcast and on our uh, our Facebook page as well, and I'll tell you more about how to follow that later. So we'll move on to another subject, and I'll ask Duncan to start this one. Uh, we've, we, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked we're having problems with leave approval for in a special area. Tell us about that. Yeah, this EPL... Uh, leave that came out, you know, it was one of those things that had been, you know, we'd been waiting for guidance for two months on it. IRS gets the guidance and then says, we can't figure out the setter codes for another month. And now that they figured that out, and now that they're going back in, uh, it's, of course, become a mess, which is shocking, again, everyone. And it's one of those things whether, you know, there's a certain there's a finite amount of money in this pool for these. You have a lot of people that want to use it retroactively. And those are going to take corrections to setter. And that's not something that's quick, either getting the, set, the corrections done or once the corrections are done, because there are so many of them across the U.S., it's, you know, it could be, it's usually a two to four pay period turnaround. Now it's probably going to be four to eight before they're going to see that changed from, you know, whatever leave that they had taken to EPL just because of the sheer numbers and because of the fact that management is not sure, okay, how do we do this? Do we do it for an entire period? Do we do it by two week period? They're still all over the place in exactly how they are going to do this because there hasn't been a lot of guidance from management up above on it. And you're right, Duncan, you know, when it comes to the EPL, uh, this is one of the strengths of NTU where we knew this information two, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Uh, We had the documents, we had the information from from OPM, we had the information from the IRS. Um, And I know personally, I sent the uh, I sent an email to the operations managers of my area and I received not one email back because respectfully to them, 
they didn't have the information. They didn't have the guidance that, that we had. Um, and, and that's one of the strengths of NTU. And, and, and one of the reasons why we always push membership is that if you want the information, you got to come to NTU because we have it weeks, months before anybody in management has it. It's because, you know, potentially bureaucracy or, or, or uh, whatever it takes to, to roll down that chain to, to, you know, to the frontline managers, the department managers, um, it just doesn't get there. And, and we're, we're getting it weeks and months prior to, uh, prior to anybody knowing. And in regards to the EPL, uh, one of the concerns there, obviously, is that, um, as Duncan said, there, there's a finite amount of money in there. And the concern we have is that you might be eligible for the EPL, but unfortunately, if it doesn't get in there in time, you might lose out. Now, I'm not worried about that necessarily today or tomorrow, but it's only $570 million. You know, could that be in a month from now or, or a few weeks from now? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when that's going to run out. But if the agency doesn't get their act together, people might lose out on the EPL solely because they don't know how to process these claims. And it should be noted that $570 million is a government-wide figure. It's Correct. not just an IRS figure. So we, you know, if our agency, you know, fumbles the ball and doesn't get this in in time, uh, appears to me some people at IRS are going to lose out. Now, NTU's push is, hey, management, get your act together, correct? Well, that's always our push. Well, exactly. yeah, but in this case, a little more <laughs> urgently, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We really have, um, this has been something that uh, National has done. Local leaders like Gary and myself have done to say, you know, there there is a big sense of urgency among all of us um, and, and quite frankly, among a lot of IRS managers who want to do the right thing. And, but they're frustrated because, as Gary indicated, they don't have the information. So I think it's in everybody's best interest to get this taken care of as quickly as possible. And I think we're doing it now, but we're behind the eight ball. You know, we've heard rumors that the post office was able to access this before a lot of other federal employees who dealt with who go through the finance center the National Finance Center. So, you know, that concerns a, a lot of us that it's like we're hoping they didn't get the jump and are taking out a disproportionate amount of this. Let me move on to another subject. And, and uh, there is a um, the largest nonprofit, and I'm a former journalist, so I, I do kind of watch this stuff. Uh, the, the largest nonprofit news organization on the national level is something called ProPublica. ProPublica, uh, takes donations from individuals, uh, you know, foundations, rather than get the money as a nonprofit. And uh, they've been a, a news gathering operation. They've done some investigative reporting. Their latest report is is, is really causing a lot. Uh, uh, it's, it's causing a lot of conversation because what it's done is it's shown how the wealthiest people in America are avoiding taxes. As a retired tax law specialist from IRS, this does not surprise me at all. But uh, here's the problem in terms of what the NTU is concerned about. I was around when what was called the Browsing Act was was put into the, the, the statute in the late 1970s, and and it basically criminalizes, in some cases, what was called browsing. In other words accessing information uh, that you don't need to know, information you don't need to have as part of your work, your workflow. 
And what has happened here is that all this, this is not just a little information. This is, as I understand it, the entire tax return information of this, of this long list of wealthy individuals. Now, whatever you may think of the tax system, we're not going to. I'm not going to argue that here. You too can, but I'm not going to argue whether that's a whether that's a, whether that's a good or a bad idea. I think the real our focus here is I, my biggest fear, and I want to hear from both of you on this. I can remember when uh, that law first came into effect, and management really came down hard. It took us years to establish the fact that yes, employees still have some rights in this situation. Uh, I mean, the IRS wanted to fire anybody they found per se. So now that we have this, and, and, and it just so happens the commissioner was testifying before Congress when this came out, and he made it clear that the Inspector General's Office for Treasury was going to look into it. We have media reports the FBI is already a part of this investigative team. Let me start with Gary, because I know this this is an issue particularly in service centers, but it happens everywhere. Uh, are you concerned that just absolutely anybody that may have accessed any of these accounts for any reason are going to come under undue um, pressure as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, UNAX is, is a is a very important thing. The Browsing Act is a very important thing. I don't think you're going to find an NTU steward representative or anybody in the national office who's going to say that um, UNAX is, is, not, uh, is not that big of a deal. I, I think as IRS employees, we all recognize that Protecting taxpayer data is is one of the most important things we do. Um, you know, I always tell people that uh, there's two golden rules. Basically, two golden rules of the IRS that you can't break. The first is UNAX, and the second is make sure you file and pay your taxes on time. Um, you know, so so I, I think we understand fully uh, how important that is. Um, but also, you know, NTU is there to protect the rights of employees. Um, you know, management has certain steps that they need to take to make sure. Um, that that these things are safeguarded and and you know we make sure that employees' rights are protected. Um, as far as individual employees, sure. I mean, you know, these people are going to be um, are going to be investigated. Uh, we're going to be there. At, you know, for for Weingarten rights, we have the right to be there. We have the right to make sure that uh, um, that they're not uh, uh, they're not being abused, uh, whether it be by the investigator or by the proposals that might come afterwards. Um, you know, and, and we will work towards, you know, for, for the rights of the employees. Um, everybody has rights, uh, whether you're whether you're a union person, whether you are outside of, of the federal workplace, everyone has rights. And, and uh, that's what the United States is built on. Um, everyone has rights. You know, you look at Miranda rights, you know, the, you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney. Um, and so that's how we that's how we look at it in, in Andover. And, and sure, I, I am worried that. Um, employees will be um, unduly charged. We've seen it. Um, I've, I've represented plenty of employees who have been charged with a UNAX violation who never committed the crime, and, and management's own evidence shows that. Um, and, and that's why we have the formal processes. Duncan, uh, weigh in on this. Yeah, it's one of those things. We just want to avoid the uh, witch hunt. The, you know, going back to the lowest learner type stuff where you know, it was all this was horrible and it was just awful and it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and this might be the act of one or two particular individuals somewhere that may or may not be bargaining unit employees. They may even be management employees. We have no idea. So we don't want everybody else to suffer because of the actions of a couple of people and the fact that, 
you know, I think that there's, I, in previous cases where we've had these types of leaks, I don't think the technology was near as good as it is today. I think they'll be able to narrow down pretty quickly who exactly it was or, the, you know, the people that people, person, we have no clue. But that shouldn't mean that everybody else is going to be under undue scrutiny for something that they had absolutely nothing to do with and wouldn't even dream of doing. Okay, we're uh, getting close on time, so let me ask each of you. I mean, I want each of you to, to give me an idea about how the bargaining is going. I know there are rules about that. Can't disclose everything that's going on, but uh, sort of give us a feel as best you can. Gary, is this your uh, first week, or how, how long have you been involved in, in these talks? So I, I'm very honored. Uh, I'm very lucky. I've been uh, I've been chapter president since 2013. Um, so I've been to a couple bargaining sessions for the uh, 2016 contract and then uh, for the midterm in 2019. Uh, this is my second week um, uh, for this particular contract. Uh, as far as how it's going, I, I definitely think we're making progress. Um, I, I, I think that the uh, administration's um, uh, President Biden's administration has definitely uh, put a new light on on how we're able to negotiate and what we're able to negotiate. Um, you know, elections certainly do matter, uh, so I think that that's important. Um, you know, to, to consider, we are federal employees, and so I think we are in a much much different and better situation today than we were when we were bargaining in 2019. So, uh, you know, without getting into specifics, yes, there are things that that we have to, I don't want to say uh, give up, but but we have to understand and, and agree to. But I also think that there are some things that employees are going to be very happy about, um, you know, especially in the world of telework, uh, you know, people who, who never have been able to telework prior to COVID, um, you know, may have those opportunities. So we're, we're very excited uh, to see what comes out of this. And, and we still have a few weeks left to go here. Um, but uh, I, I think we are ultimately going to end up on a positive note. So, Duncan, you've been there from the beginning. Uh, you've been, as far as all these talks are concerned, uh, you've seen it ebb and flow. And as Gary said, there's give and take. That's what bargaining's about. Uh, give us uh, your assessment of what where things are now. Oh, well, the first thing is, is I wish we'd have gone to face-to-face earlier because I definitely think, and I think Gary would concur, it's a whole different atmosphere uh, when you're face-to-face sitting across from somebody than it is when you're trying to do it via Zoom. Uh, you're able to have more conversations, um, go into things in depth a little bit more, and there's more of a human element that we can make them understand. Overall, I think that, as Gary alluded to, we are on a good path at this moment. Now, that could change this <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. We've, you know, Gary and I have been doing this a long time. We've both seen it change on a dime. So we're hoping, we're hoping that it will continue to go on this uh, upward trajectory towards positivity. After, you know, after today, we're meeting again. We're caucusing on Monday. We're meeting with them again on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then the week following, we go into mediation. We're getting right down to the wire, and we want to try and get, you know, the best deal we can for employees and also try and meet management's needs. And that's an interesting needle to thread sometimes. Well, Gary, I want to ask, give you kind of a last word here. Um, just give us a, an idea how labor relations, uh, just how the uh, workplace is where you are at the Andover Service Center. You've been there a while. You've seen things come and go. Uh, how would you describe 
your uh, situation there as far as workplace, uh, your uh, relationship with management there, so forth? So uh, me personally, I mean, I, I've, I've tried to foster good relationships with management. Um, I think that's one of the things that NTU uh, pushes at all our national training conferences, talk about relationship building consistently, um, because that's how you really become the most effective leader you can be. Um, you know, if I have to file a grievance over every single case that comes through, we'd never get anything done. So I, I do the best I can to try to foster good relationships. And in many cases, I do have good relationships. Uh, I can pick up the phone and call management at any time. In some cases, you know, we do have to obviously go straight forward to that um, uh, to that grievance. But that, that's going to happen anywhere. Um, overall, I think the the overall relationship is is pretty decent. Um, uh, again, because I think everybody agrees that the, we all have enough work to do and, and to force us to have more work. Uh, by having to file a grievance over everything is just not in anybody's best interest. But um, what I always tell employees, if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. And we do have the formal process to get there. But I do think that our good relationships with, with management helps us, even if we do have to go through the formal process, it helps us get to better results for employees. Um, you know, so, so hopefully we can continue that. Uh, definitely in our local training, we do uh, push our, our stewards to make that phone call first and see what relationship we can build before having to file a grievance. So, um, you know, but we do have our challenges. Uh, we do have obviously accounts management, which is, uh, which can be tricky sometimes. Um, I mean, their, their workload is, is insane and, and it uh, basically rolls downhill. You, you know, they're getting a phone call at, at management level saying, where are you? Where's the employee? And, you know, it just trickles downhill and it causes for a very, um, intense and, and very frustrating environment uh, for all involved. And so we try to manage that as best we can. Duncan and I are both alumnus, alumni of uh, accounts management, so we, we are very familiar with that. Duncan, yep. uh, chance for you to make a last comment. Yeah, I just want everybody to know out there that, um, you know, people like Gary and myself, the rest of the team, the NTU National folks are, you know, we're working extremely hard to try and get the best deal that we can. So don't, don't, you know, don't despair and saying, Oh, how bad is it going? Things of that nature. We're going to get the best deal for the employees that we can. And I just want everybody out there to remember, you know, get vaccinated because sooner or later you're going to be coming back to the office, at least in some part. And you need to get those vaccinations to make yourself safe as possible. Well, thank you, Gary Caribbean. Thank you for joining us. We hope uh, you join us again sometime. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you to both. Thank you to Duncan. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be here on this on this uh, podcast. I'm also honored to spend some time with Duncan, and, and I've learned a lot from from you and uh, uh, with your expertise and, and, and your knowledge. So thank you. And Duncan, you are most welcome. And Duncan Giles, we'll be talking to you hopefully next week. Uh, scheduling gets to be a little bit complicated when you're involved in bargaining because it's a moving target. But with this, way, this week we were able to get that in, and we hope we do it again next week. So, Duncan, we hope you uh, continue to find the best restaurants in, in Washington, <laughs> whether they're close or not. Uh, hopefully you'll have a celebratory dinner at some point uh, once you're all done with it. So, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, this wraps up another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. If you're listening on a platform such as iTunes that allows comments and ratings, hey, take a moment and do that for us. If you have comments outside of this podcast, you can email us at nteu49 
at AOL.com. I know we may be the last people left on Earth with an AOL email account, but we do. That email address, once again, is nteu49 at AOL.com. So don't hesitate to spread the word about this podcast. One way to uh, keep up to date on the podcast and other updates that we give you is to follow us on Facebook. We have a news feed on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and search under NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. We post regular updates, and we always post a link to each podcast once we have it posted online, along with other news updates of interest to IRS employees. On behalf of Duncan Giles and this week, Gary, this is Larry Lannon. Chapter 49 thanks you for listening, so please be safe and be kind. <laughs>